You guys excited to be singing Christmas carols? How many of you are like, I'm so excited I've been waiting all year? See, look at it, it's only like 20% of you. I love Christmas carols, I'm glad to be singing them, uh, but I appreciate you being here today. Again, we know that you don't have to be here, that you've chosen to be here, and we're very, very grateful for that. Would you please take your Bibles with me this morning? Turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. I want to publicly thank those who uh, preached last week. Uh, Bruce Holmes preached Wednesday night, and then uh, Pastor Massacre preached last Sunday morning. I'm very thankful for that. And for Ed Stewart, I appreciate uh, the messages that you guys gave. I really appreciate uh, the fact that uh, we can uh, go away and have a holiday and then still have qualified men who can still preach the Word of God. So grateful for that. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity that you've given us. Father, what a great privilege it is to be here, be in this place today. And I pray that as we open your word and we study it, Father, that you would affect our lives today. The word of God is made to make a change. And so, Father, I pray today that if we need to, we would change, that we would become more like you today, and that your will would be accomplished in it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray you bless it and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I always like to start my sermons out with a question. And so here today is the question, and I want you to be active, and I want you to raise your hand if this was you, okay? So if your employer or your source of income offered you more money, how many of you would take it? There are some people not raising their hand, okay? I might go as far as saying that if you don't accept it, you would be an absolute, oh, I can't say that publicly, sorry. Okay? Thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate that. What if your employer or source of income offered you less money? How many of you would take it? <laughs> okay, we got one or two. Okay, wow. All right, that's weird, but whatever. <laughs> What if something, think about this, what if something was threatening your job or your livelihood? How upset would you be? How frustrated would that make you? Let me ask this question. How hard would you fight to keep your job? You see, there's a reality in our world today that hasn't been a reality for a long time, but the reality is jobs aren't as easy to come by as they used to be. And your job is not as secure as it used to be. The reality is that sometimes our livelihood may be just stripped away, and sometimes we would fight for that. When our livelihoods are at stake, we kind of can become different human beings. Things happen that wouldn't normally happen. There's an old saying that says this, desperate times call for desperate measures, right? And we would, we would do some pretty crazy things, but I want you to think just a little bit differently this morning, if you would. Have you ever thought about how tightly we as human beings hold on to temporal things? Have you ever thought how we as human beings, how tightly we hold on to temporal things? Temporal just means earthly or physical things. In fact, if you think about this, there are masses of people that will meet today that flock to hear a public speaker tell them how they can live a more prosperous life 
right now. Thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people will flock into auditoriums across North America to hear someone speak about how to live more prosperous. You can't tell me that we want to live more prosperous. You can't tell me that if something was stripped away from us, we wouldn't fight for it. We all want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. We all want that. We all desire that. We all want the immediate satisfaction of our desires. And it's pretty easy to tell what our desires are. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Simply put, what we put our money, what we put our time into, into what that is what our hearts desire. What I put my time and my money into is what my heart longs for. And for every one of us, it's different. Even in, in family, sometimes spouses have different desires, right? The husband has one desire, the wife has another, and what happens? That causes a little bit of conflict, right? Because that's what your heart wants, and we want to spend money on this particular thing, yet the other person wants to spend money on this particular thing, because your hearts are in two different places. Our story today is a story about this exact thought process. So let's go to Acts chapter 19. Look with me in verse 1. The Bible says this, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So we find here in verse 1, Paul is now in Ephesus. He's made his way to a city called Ephesus. It is here in Ephesus that our entire story takes place today. I want you to jump all the way down to verse 17. All the way down to verse 17. The Bible says this, And this was known to all Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I read these verses to you just to give you a little bit of context around what's going on. Just to give you a little bit of what, what the word of God is still doing in the book of Acts. I mean, God's word is going forth. People are getting saved. Powerful things are happening. The people that were doing witchcraft and different things, they bring their books and they burn them all. We're not doing this anymore. So much, there was so much that the price of them was an enormous amount of 50,000 pieces of silver. That is an enormous amount of money. Listen, this, something is working here in the book of Acts. God is doing some amazing things. Let's continue the story. Verse 23. The Bible says this. In the same time, there arose no small store, stir about that way. That literally just basically, it's Luke's way of saying, listen, there was a big deal going on. A big conundrum, a big group of people, a mob, if you will. Verse 24, why? For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, 
whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not only, excuse me, not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificent magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. Okay, so just stop there. Can you picture it? Something's going on in this world that is jeopardizing these men's livelihood. And they're filled with great wrath. So much so that they get into this mob mentality and they grab two of Paul's companions and they rush him into the theater. They have no idea what they're going to do with them. And usually that's not a very good situation to be in if you're Aristarchus and Gaius. You're in a bit of a situation here. But the sheer amount of people turning to Jesus Christ was, listen to this, was threatening to put Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen out of a job. The sheer amount of people turning to Jesus Christ was threatening to put Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen out of a job. Again, Demetrius is a silversmith. He's a person that worked with silver. And he was one of the top men who made shrines for the temples for the goddess Diana. Now, Diana was a goddess of nature. Okay, don't miss this. This is really key to the story. Diana was a goddess of nature. She was absolutely grotesque to look upon. People say she was as ugly as sin. She was ugly. However, she was worshipped far and wide. Why? Because she was the way, a means to help people with fertility, with hunting, with farming, and all things that related to nature. So let me put it to you this way if I can. Diana was the goddess that would bless, listen to this, the sustainability of life. She would bless the sustainability of life. Don't miss this, please. This is going to be key for the rest of the sermon. Diana was the goddess that would would help people with the sustainability of life. She was the goddess of fertility. If you need to have a baby, do you need to progress life, you go to the goddess Diana. If you need to be blessed on your hunt, then you go to the goddess Diana. If your farming's just not doing what it's supposed to do, then you go to the goddess Diana. Why? Because she was the goddess of nature. She would help you out with those things. She would work on your behalf. So obviously this is a pretty important goddess at this time, in this area. But notice what Demetrius says. What Demetrius says reveals so much, not only about himself, but about all the other worshipers of Diana. But it also reveals much about Jesus Christ and the gospel that is being preached. So please notice with me again verse 24 and 25. The Bible says this. 
For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. Again, basically saying they were made very rich. Whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, watch, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have our wealth. Two key phrases. Two key phrases that he made no small gain, and by this craft we have our wealth. It was by making these shrines and the spin-off jobs that made these men extremely wealthy. Extremely wealthy. They would not only sell them in Ephesus, but they would sell them throughout Asia, throughout the entire known world at that time. Again, we've already established the fact that every single one of us would be upset if our jobs were threatened, if our livelihoods were threatened, if all of a sudden we had no money coming in. So in a way, you can almost feel the anxiety that they would feel. Okay, there's this major world event going on, and it is threatening our livelihoods. Okay, so can you feel that? You feel the anxiety that that would bring? But this statement reveals so much about Demetrius and the other craftsmen. And if we will allow it, it will reveal a great deal about us as well. This statement found in verses 24 and 25 reveals their true passion. It reveals their true passion. Their greatest desire, if you were, their inward longings. It reveals that they cared about their wealth. They did. They cared about their wealth. They cared about the money that they were making. And they had made no small gain. And they were gaining wealth because of this goddess Diana. And the ability that they had to make things for people to worship her. Now, we all need to ask this question. What about you and I? What about you and I? I believe this without a shadow of a doubt. There is something in your life right now that you are unwilling to let go. There is something in your life right now that you are unwilling to let go. If you will, an idol. An idol. There is something in your life that you are extremely passionate about. Something that you think will fulfill your greatest desire. A pastor and a writer and author by the name of Tom, Tom Rayner said this, an idol is something you run to for comfort, security, assurance, purpose, or meaning. It is a false idol if you are afraid of losing it. And you can see this in our passage. You can see this in our passage. Not only was it the goddess Diana that they were scared of losing, they were scared of losing their own livelihood. And not only that, they were putting this now on the Ephesus as a city. Listen, this whole city's going to go under. Idolatry in this time period was rampant. And even before, we can look at the children of Israel and watch how they just committed idolatry after idolatry after idolatry. They kept running to Baal and Mikosh and just the list goes on and on and on. But listen to this. People would literally fashion something with their hands and then bow down to it like it holds some incredible power over them. But 
you and I are no different today, are we? You say, well, I've never made an idol. Hang on a second. Sometimes we think that something material is something that we can run to, or drugs, or sex, or alcohol, or money, or power, or fame. And again, the list could go on and on. Those are all idols. They are all made with man's hands, and we bow down to them by running to them for comfort. We bow down to them by running to them for security. We bow down to them by running to them for assurance, and we find our purpose. We find our meaning is tied up in these things. Jack Arnold, pastor and author, says it this way. Idolatry is the height of stupidity. For men make an object with their own hands and then turn around and pray to the object asking for deliverance. What kind of God do you serve? Do you serve an idol? Do you serve a God of your own imagination? Does your God exist to do your will? Is your God a God you made up? And the reality is if we're not careful and if we're honest with ourselves, all of us probably have one. A God that we made up, a God that we run to for comfort, a God that we find purpose and meaning in. Every one of us probably has one. But listen to this. If my God is a God that I made up, if it's sex or if it's drugs or if it's money or if it's fame or if it's some man-made thing, listen to me, if it's that then truly and honestly, I am my own God. I am my own God. I do what feels good to me in the moment. I make my own rules and I live by my own desires and my own passions. Consider Psalm 135 verses 15 to 18. The Bible says this, The idols of the heathen are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they, they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. Watch this. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Listen, they that made them are, it's the, as Jack Arnold said, is the height of stupidity. You're making something with eyes, but it can't see. And you have eyes, but you can't see. You're making something with ears that can't hear. And you are somebody with ears, but obviously cannot hear. You're making something with a mouth that cannot speak, and you obviously cannot speak. It is the height of stupidity. We are no better than the idols we have created. Listen to me. We are no better than the idols that we have created. I'd even go as far as saying this. We will be defined by what we worship. We will be defined by what, they, by what we worship. If it's alcohol, we call somebody a drunk. If it's drugs, we call them a drug addict. If it's sex, we'll call them a whoremonger or a harlot. You see what I'm saying? If we call it fame, listen, 
take the list and go on and on. You will be defined by what we worship. We will become what we worship. We will become what we worship. This is Demetrius. This is the other craftsmen. They were defined by their job. They were defined by what they worshipped. They were defined by what meant the most to them. And if we're honest with ourselves, it'll reveal the same about us. What are you defined by this morning? Will you become, you will become like what you worship, but look at what else Demetrius reveals in verse 26. He says, moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So not, not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. Do you see this? Do you see what this reveals? This reveals something spectacular. What Demetrius reveals here is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, not only here at Ephesus, but all throughout Asia. He says, not only here in Ephesus, and not only in Asia, but the whole world is being affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, isn't it a refreshing thing when your enemy tells you how successful you are? Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. He's literally saying the whole world is being turned upside down by this gospel. And if we don't do something right now, the whole world will be affected. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, creates not only a spiritual change, but notice, it creates economic change. It creates economic change. Listen to me, Jesus doesn't just change one part of you. Jesus doesn't just affect you spiritually. Hear me, the power of Jesus Christ changes all of you. He changes every bit of you. He changes your thoughts. He changes your desires. He changes what you spend money on. He changes what you spend time in. Listen, he changes everything about you. He makes you a new man. Listen, the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel was threatening not just Ephesus, but all of Asia. And the entire world. Listen, it was causing people to stop worshiping idols. It was causing people to stop worshiping idols that were vain, that were empty, that were useless. People were turning to Jesus Christ. People were realizing that he is the one. He is the one who can bring me true comfort. He is the one that I can hear from. He is the one that speaks to me. He is the one that can see everything. They're beginning to realize Jesus is the one. He was the one who would bring true peace. He was the one who would bring true fulfillment to every desire. He was the one who was in control of all nature. He was the one. It was Jesus. 
He was the one who would bring everything that they had vainly searched for. He would bring all of those things into fulfillment. This was Jesus, and everybody was beginning to realize it. Listen to me. This is the power and the potential of Jesus Christ. You know what that ought to do to you this morning, and I hope it does? I hope that fires you up. Listen, our world is literally going downhill faster than I, as a very young man, have ever seen it. And this ought to bring encouragement to you that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change all of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ can change economics. The gospel of Jesus Christ can change your joy. The gospel of Jesus Christ can change the peace of the world. Listen to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ has a huge impact impact. Consider the Welsh revival of 1901. Under the anointed ministry of Robert Murray McShane, so great was the revival that every tavern and pub in Wells went broke. Every one of them. Now let me ask you this question. How many anti-alcohol sermons did McShane preach? Big fat goose egg. None. How many tirades against taverns did he give? None. People simply lost interest in alcohol when they got touched by the Lord and filled with the Spirit. The same thing happened in Ephesus. When people got saved, the idol business dried up. The gospel taught that idolatry was a lie and of no value, either in time or eternity. And this was Demetrius' greatest fear. That what he had worked his whole life for had no meaning. Maybe this is your fear today. Maybe you have your entire life wrapped up into something that's, for lack of a better phrase, just a lie. Well, maybe it's of no value and you know it. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're becoming keenly aware of this fact. Please listen to me this morning. Let Jesus Christ change all of that. Let him give you purpose. Let him give you meaning. Listen, you were made for so much more than the regular mundane. Listen, there is a battle going on right now in the hearts and minds of people in this room. This is not a battle of preference. I just prefer one thing over another. All of us have preferences. This is not a battle of preference. Listen, this is a battle of of serious proportions. It's not a battle of likes or dislikes. As one author put it, this is a cosmic battle between deities. A cosmic battle between deities. This is a battle of the gods in your life. Look at verse 28. The Bible says that when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, "Great, saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. You can picture Paul. Let me in there. No, Paul, you're not going in there. They'll kill you. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. 
And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. So this is literally a mob. Most of the people don't even know why they're there. I want you to stop right here. Listen, our world is full, full, full of confusion. They have no idea why they're here. There are very few people who are here for an evil purpose and they know it. But most of them have no idea. And they're just following the crowd. They're just shouting whatever they want to shout. They're just giving up what they want to give up. Listen, they were so full of confusion, but listen to this. God is not the author of confusion. He has a purpose. He has a meaning. He has everything planned out for your life, and he has planned out for many people in this world. Listen to me. He wants to use you. Verse 33. And when they drew Alexander out of the multitude... The Jews putting him forward. All right, Alexander, get out there. Go do something about this. And Alexander beckoned with the hand who have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Can you picture this? This Jew, again, this is what the Bible says. This Jew stands up and says, all right, calm down, calm down. And this Gentile city says, oh no, no Jew is going to tell us to be quiet. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana, for two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, great is Diana of the Ephesians. They really did not want to give this idol up, did they? They wanted everyone in Ephesus and Asia, and the entire world to know where they stood. Let me ask you this question. What are you shouting today? What are you shouting today? David Gusick, again a commentator, said it this way. People say today in words, actions, time, or dollars spent, great is my sports team. Great is my political party. Great is the consumer capitalistic economy. Great is internet pornography. Great is material wealth. Great is getting drunk or getting high. Again, the list goes on and on and on and on. Listen, what are you shouting today? Most of you would probably answer this, well, I'm not shouting. But our time and our money tell us otherwise. Just show me your budget if you even have one. Show me your budget and I'll show you exactly, I'll tell you exactly what your idol is. It's that simple. You tell me what you spend time on and I'll tell you exactly what what your idol is. And by the way, you can do the same to me. We all have it. Let's be honest with ourselves this morning. There are a lot of things that you and I would not easily part with. Say, Pastor Jones, how do you know? Again, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The NFL. The NFL generates a revenue each year of $18.6 billion dollars. 
each year. The NBA generates a revenue each year of $10.5 billion. Not million, billion. The NHL generates a revenue each year of $5.9 billion. This one cuts home to me. The outdoor industry, hunting, fishing, camping, generates $682 billion each year in revenue in the U.S. alone. The U.S. fitness industry generates $40 billion of revenue each year. Again, in the U.S., the technology industry generates a revenue of $1.8 trillion each year. In Canada, tobacco, their industry generates $2.2 billion in revenue each year. In Canada, alcohol generates $25.5 billion in revenue each year. In Canada, the drug industry generates $12 billion in revenue each year. In North America, the porn industry generates $15 billion in revenue each year. Are you getting the picture yet? I found this so interesting. You say, well, what about people giving? I looked it up. The Red Cross generates $4.3 billion in revenue each year. Well, that's pretty good, right? Let's add them all up. Listen to me. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what's really easy for us to do right now where we're at in this message? It's really easy for us to say, yeah, that's all the world. I'm not going to ask, but how many of you watch the NFL? How many of you watch the NHL? I'm not trying to say that these things are wrong. Please don't misunderstand me. Watching a hockey game is not sinful, wicked, horrible, vile, you're going to hell because of that. Hey, that's not the point. Maybe if you watch the Leafs, that might be. <laughs> Sorry, just... But listen, the point I'm trying to make is what we spend our time and our energy in is what we worship. One out of every three Christian men struggle with pornography. What we put our time and our effort into, what we put our money into, is what we worship. You see, numbers do not lie. We might not be shouting, great is Diana of the Ephesians, but we are certainly shouting to whom we serve. The scene in this passage abruptly ends. We see a city official calming and dispersing the crowd. And literally, that's the end of the chapter. That's all we hear. That's it. Story's done. Story's over. But the lesson of this moment in history in Ephesus continues to resound over 2,000 years later. I want you to notice something with me. Ephesus, the city... Guess what? It's gone. It's not there anymore. 
the worldwide worship of the goddess Diana, guess what? Non-existent. Anybody else know anybody who worships Diana? Come on. The temple that Demetrius referenced, guess what? No longer standing. Ephesus is a place only visited by archaeologists and tourists to see the ruins. But we are here this morning, and guess what we're doing? We're praising our Savior, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years later. Don't miss this. The gods that we create will soon perish. They will soon perish. But Jesus Christ, guess what? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He's the first and the last. He is all and in all. Very simply this morning, what God are you serving? Are you serving a God made with man's hands, with your own hands? Or are you serving Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods? The only one that will fulfill you completely and fully is Jesus Christ. The only one that will last is Jesus Christ. Which God are you serving? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Father, this message is written for me as much as it is for anybody else. And Father, you've convicted me about things in my own life that I have put before you. I put my time, my effort, my energy into things far different than you. So Father, as I stand before these people, I want them to know that it's not me preaching from a place of I've arrived, but Father, preaching from a place of this is what the Word of God says and we all need it. And I pray that as we look deep within ourselves this morning, may we know without a shadow of a doubt that first of all, we are your children. Second of all, that there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. There's no other gods before me. Father, if there is this morning, may we all bend our knee. May we all bend our hearts. Would we have a broken heart this morning and just say, listen, enough. I'm not passionately pursuing these playful gods anymore. I'm going to passionately pursue the all-powerful God of the universe who can fulfill everything. Father, whatever the decision is this morning, I pray your will would be accomplished in each and every one of our lives. 